Happy Easter, Burlington Baptist Church. It is a beautiful Lord's Day, and I want to thank you for being here. Now, I go to the airport frequent enough to know that this morning feels like I'm trying to catch flights between there. You ever landed, and then you have like 15 seconds to get to the next gate, okay? Because literally, I sat down, took a drink of water, I said something to Paul, and the countdown's running. I'm going, no, 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 this is too quick for me today. But it is a great day to be in the house of the Lord. We're here for the next three hours, and as we get together, I couldn't have done that joke in the first service because they would have never gotten it. They were too asleep. Okay. But as we gather here today, we are going to be looking at doubt. And if you say, I don't have any doubt, then I doubt that, okay? I can have as much fun with that word. But as we get together on the Lord's Day, I just wanted to start off this service by reading from the book of Luke, chapter 24. First verse, it says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They found the stone was rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. I'm going to add in the fifth verse, and it says, In their fright, the women bowed down and their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this moment today. It's not any ordinary moment. Today is our victory. It's our celebration. It is your conquering the grave so you could reach back to us and love us. And today as we gather together for this Easter service, I just pray that you would touch our hearts and look into our hearts that your words be my words, that the things that I say would reflect only what you would ask me to say. I just thank you for these people that you've brought into this house today, for whatever reason it is. Allow them to feel your presence and know that they have a loving Father. Let them experience the true resurrection this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Before I get into the Word, about uh, three weeks ago, I was sitting in my office and Kent came in. And Kent asked me, he said, now is there anything that you want on Easter for the services? And I said, I want one thing. And it was really born out of the fact that I took Brett and Josh Mormon and we went to Winter Jam over at the Coliseum. And if you know anything about Winter Jam, it's a lot louder than Kent plays. I mean, it is. And they have fire and stuff, and don't get Chris started, because he'll try to add that in. But as we uh, were sitting there, New Song is the one that promotes the concert, and they have a song that they sing that just moves my heart. And it wasn't so much how it moved my heart. It was me watching my son and watching an arena full of young people that really tied me into the fact that I wanted this song sung. So I said, the one thing that I want, I want you to have Paul Lancaster 
sing Arise, My Love. Because I don't think there's a song that depicts in our Christian culture the celebration moment any better than that. So Paul, would you please come and share with us this morning? Hold 
are your shackles? Where is your sting? Has been defeated. The grave cannot hold our King. Yeah, rise, my love. Arise, my love. The grave no longer has a hold on you. No more destiny. That's why I wanted that, brother. <laughs> may take two fingers like this, put it on your wrist. If your heart ain't beating now, brother, you got no, you got a problem. We have ushers that can help you. No, we're not doing that. When I started looking at talking about doubt, there was a lot of directions that I could go. And I bet you that the people that were in here in the first service that heard me preach are not going to hear the same sermon because that's just the way that God goes. I know a couple other things that I'm going to do as far as the outline, but I'm going to let God have the day because it is his day. But when I sit and I think about doubt, one guy in our Bible that takes a beating over us is Thomas. You don't know what his last name is, do you? You only know what the word they put in front of him, which is doubting Thomas. And I want you to raise your hand in this room if there has never been a moment in your life you doubted anything. There's two people in this room that never doubted anything. Yeah, see, you got to be very... This is where you got to learn the youth minister thing. I spin it the back way. That way I always catch somebody because it's cool. No, it's... Um, I know you know what you, don't worry. But as uh, you sit and you talk about doubt and you think about the things that creep in, yesterday I was sitting there in my chair and I'm reading scripture and halfway listening to the television and listening to all the garbage that goes on with the UK game and listening to the matchups. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know what, this doesn't match up well for us. Because I said, you know, I don't want to give up on my team and I want to root for my team, but I said, this is going to be tougher than any game that we play. So I don't want to categorize I was doubting the Cats. But today, there are a lot of people that are second-guessing and have great answers of why Kentucky lost. If you're one of those people, raise your hand. Uh, Thank you for being honest. There's no way in the world that I believe that when any of those teams take the floor, that their coaches don't build them up where they don't doubt that they're going to win. But it's how you deal with the doubt. It's how you deal with shame. It's how you deal with fear in your life that really 
really brings out the true character in people. Because you can play through it for a while, but doubt starts to eat at you. And I can't swear to it, but I thought at the end of that game, I thought I saw a bunch of young kids playing basketball. And that's what they are. And in my life, I kind of compare that to the fact that I go through every day and I think that I have to have an answer for this and an answer for that. Probably one of my biggest doubts and my fears, to be honest with you, is my children. Because I struggle with my kids in the fact that I realize that I'm a minister and I work very hard not to let them live in a fishbowl. I want them to be as normal as anybody else. But I also understand the spiritual side of it, of how those two worlds can collide. Today, as we celebrate Easter, the two worlds collide. And Paul just sang that song, he's talking about the fact that death no longer had a hold on Jesus Christ because he conquered it. So as we get ready to dive into the word, the first thing I want to tell you is this, do not fear and do not doubt that God is present today. I don't. Amen. And it doesn't matter what's been going on in our lives, in the lives of the church, what's going on out there in the world, our God is alive. Amen. And there's a lot of faiths today that unfortunately they pray to a rock or to nature. They don't have a risen Savior to celebrate like we do. But we know this because people have taught us this. Thomas wasn't so lucky. Thomas was brought about in the story as he started out around the table with Jesus Christ. And they broke bread and they drank wine and God told them exact, or Christ told them exactly what was going to happen. So it wasn't like Jesus, Jesus hadn't laid the plan out for Thomas as well. And I believe that Thomas probably sat there at the table and he had his, his fist clenched and he's going, yes, we're going to win this battle. And Jesus is going to conquer and he's going to make it so everybody else can go to heaven. He, I just know that that was the stuff that was going through his mind. But it just so happened that the way the consequences played out, he wasn't around for everything. So we're going to start reading the book of John, chapter 20, verses 24 and 25. It says, now Thomas, also known as Dimas, was one of the twelve, and he was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to him, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Sounds like a pretty rational statement. I don't know how many times my kids have come to me and said something and I don't necessarily believe them until I go investigate myself. So I think that this is where Thomas gets beat up. Because Thomas is a product of the fact that he wasn't there. And yet, to be truthful, he, lo he loved Jesus Christ so much that he had just spent a large part of his life following him around, watching him do miracles. So why wouldn't he believe? 
Truth is that everyone doubts. We all doubt. And it just depends on how we allow doubt and our relationship with God to work out. As I was preparing for this sermon this week, in the warm, warm climate of Florida with the youth, don't be a hater, I looked out, and I even took a picture, and I've got it on my phone, of the full moon on the Gulf of Mexico in the reflection. And it's just one of those pictures that even the even taking the picture doesn't justify what I was seeing. And I'm sitting there, and I'm watching this, and it just inspired me to know the awesomeness, how big God is. That even though I couldn't see past the horizon, God knew it was on that side. And God had created everything in motion, and I knew that the moon somehow works with the waves, and it made it just a beautiful place to be. And I sat there, And I just listened to the crashing of the waves. And then God said something. He says, Jeff, he says, you know what? He said, there's only one way that you can exemplify the fact of what Thomas was going through, that he's not alone as a doubter. He said, you got to tell him your story. So my warning to you, all the men in this room, this is a crying story for me. I don't get through it too easily but I'm going to try to push through it. But I was between the ages of 10 and 12 growing up in a pastor's home. And everybody assumes that pastor's children have the inside track to Jesus. When I think that it's probably the direct opposite. That because of having a father who was up in the pulpit every week, that people took for granted that I understood and I was going to be able to uh, find Jesus at a young age and, you know, ask Franklin Graham. It just does not work out that way. So between the ages of 10 and 12, I began to doubt. I really didn't doubt that there was a Jesus. I didn't really doubt that there was a God. But I was just getting in that age when I'm sitting there watching the things that were playing out in the world. I was watching people being hurt and I'm sitting there going, really? really, God, if that's you and the changes that you're making, why are you letting this happen and why are you letting that happen? Does any of that sound familiar? It's really the way that we deal with God. It got to the point for those two years that I knew what the other side of the rainbow held. That if I believed in Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, that I receive the keys to the kingdom and I get to live with him in paradise forever. I've heard them all. But during those two years as I struggled through those battles, I watched my brother make his profession of faith and get baptized and thought to myself, that's really what I want to do. I want want to have salvation in my life. But I would still go to church while my father was preaching and I'd cling on to the back of the pew And I could just feel this torment in my life. And it got to the point that in that two-year period that I would get up out of my bed about 2 o'clock in the morning every night. And when I say every night, I'm not saying once here, once there. I'm telling you that this was my every night battle. And I would get out of bed and I would crawl out and I would walk across the hallway to my mom and dad's room and I would push the door open. 
And I would walk into the room, and I would go up to the, my mom's and dad's bed, and I would reach out under the covers, and I would grab my father's big toe. Because in that moment, I wanted to make sure that I hadn't been left behind. The man that spoke spiritual love into my life and fatherly love in my life, all he could do was pray for me. And for two years, he never did move, never did wake up. And after I would touch his foot, I would go back in my bed and I could fall asleep and sleep for the rest of the night. I was scared, scared to death. Fast forward to the end of that, I was 12 years old. An evangelist friend of my father's came in. He was holding revival at Main Street. And I walked down the aisle. When I walked down the aisle, saw the smile on my father's face. Evangelist met me, and a week later, my father was baptizing me in the baptistry. Didn't have any doubt. My father at lunch that day said something to me. He said, Jeff, I've been praying for you for two years. I could feel your touch and I knew the torment that you were going through. But he says, don't have any doubt that Christ is real. When I sit there and I think about Thomas, he had had the Savior himself demonstrate his life every day. He walked beside him. So I don't think there was ever a doubt that Jesus Christ was who he said he was to Thomas. But we also have to remember what was going on at this time too. You had a pile of disciples going everywhere right after Jesus' death and when his body was resurrected because they'd already put Jesus to death. So they weren't certain what was going to happen to them. And fear does lead to doubt. But in this instance, Thomas gets the rap because... He's the one that said it. Because he didn't see him. The next section of verses that we're going to look at, book of John, said, starting in verse 26, says, a week later, his disciples were in a house again. And Thomas was with them. Through the doors that were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side and stop doubting and believe. Two things about doubting Thomas I'm going to put on hold to get to this point. When you read that, do you not read what Jesus just did? So that Jesus came through a locked door. And this week when I was down in Florida with the youth, one of the youth asked me, he says, what kind of a lock is it? Was it a slag? Was it a panic bar? Well, you know, they're, they're thinking, hey, hey, come on. I mean, the kids nowadays, they're so spoiled. They're thinking everything has a key or a punch number. It's that kind of thing. And I told him, I said, you know, I can't be sure. But I said, in that day and age, if somebody's going to lock the door, I'm thinking more like it's one of those wooden things that when the door is shut, you bar it closed. 
so somebody can't push it in. And when I read that, and I'm talking about Thomas, I'm sitting there going, putting all the doubting aside, whoa. Jesus came into a locked room where they're all at. Going back to Thomas, the first thing is, I think at that moment, he truly understood and he believed. Because in his heart, he knew that there's only one person that was able to do that. Let's put it in today's term. We so many times put so many things in our life in barriers and we build up questions that we're locking God out. That we're not giving him an opportunity to speak into our lives. You're not letting the people that he's placed in your life to sit there and pray and reach into you. And it's just like that image of that locked door. But the same thing is true today as was back in that day. That only Jesus Christ has the capability to see through all of our fears, all the doubts, all the excuses, all the garbage in our heart, and still meet us exactly where we're at. Amen. No doubt. No doubt at all. These next verses, they speak very simply to Thomas's mind thinking. It said in verse 28, Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. So many of us, we like the writings of C.S. Lewis. And I'll be very honest with you, I'm a hater of reading. Oh, amen. There we go. Praise God. I'm a hater of reading but I know I have to do it. And when I was taking one of my master's classes at at, uh, Liberty University, they required me to buy all these books and read them. And one of my classes that I took was a C.S. Lewis class. Because we as Christians, we love to raise high the banner of C.S. Lewis and how his Christian word and all of his writings and how they speak. But do you realize that C.S. Lewis, for 15 years of his life, was an atheist? He had no belief. He had no faith. He did not recognize the fact that there was a God. But even through those 15 years, God began to work through the people that were in his life. And it finally got through that 15-year period, and he became a Christian. Now, the greatest thing I can tell you about C.S. Lewis is not all the big books he wrote. It's the smallest ones. One in particular, he wrote a book called about the problem with pain. And the reason why he wrote that book is because he was depicting the everyday pain and strife that we have to deal with. But he was doing it from a narrator's point. And when I read that book, I understand that through the 15 years that he was an atheist, the one thing that C.S. Lewis walked away from that period of time thinking was 
I need to be compassionate and loving to those people that doubt. I don't need to be a Christian that says I have all the answers. I don't need to be a Christian that walks in and looks at somebody when they're struggling and say, if you would just trust God just a little bit more, it will be all right. If that's all you need, you just need to trust God because that's not all you need to do. And it might be heresy in some of your ears, and I'm sorry if it is. But as a youth minister, the one thing that I tell my students is, you've got to raise the questions. You've got to face the doubts. Because to survive in this world, if you are not prepared to reason and understand through a spiritual and a biblical way, this world will chew you up. And I'm quick, I'm quick to give a very short answer to people, but I pray to God every time. I said, you know what, if I talk to this person, let me be compassionate and understanding to the point that they're at. It's called grace. And how can't I offer that to someone else when they're struggling with whether they believe in Jesus Christ or not when I stand up here on an Easter morning and I say, I get all the grace in the world. One of the luckiest things that my father has been able to do in his life was he had a period in his time, right after my mother passed away, he went to the Holy Land. And I remember talking to him when he got back, and my dad had oodles of pictures. None of them were in focus, and none of them were in anything because he was a man with a camera. You know, he's like this. So we're sitting down, and I'm sitting in our house, and I'm talking to him about it, and he says, Jeff, he says, I'm going to tell you this. He said, all the things that I've preached about over the years, all the things in my mind's eye when I read scripture, he says, that's all well and good. And he says, and I believed in it. But he says, you want me to tell you something? He said, it is amazing the feeling when you put your feet in the place where Jesus walked. And he said, and you go through the stories of the New Testament, you read so many of them. And I said, just give me one example. And he said, well, he said, there's a description in the New Testament that talks about rocks being like razors. So sharp, so fractured, that even to touch them, you can cut yourself. And he described the area, the hillside, where this all took place in this biblical story. And he says, you know what, Jeff? He said, it's true. He said, our guide warned us that if you go down to pick up those rocks, he says, you might get cut, poked, you know, all this stuff. And he says, and they fracture in a way in which all of them have a sharp edge. And I said, what did that feel like? And he said, it felt like God had opened up and showed me. And he said, and I thought I believed up to that point. He said, yeah, I had the faith. But he said, when you sit there, and you see it for yourself. It's just that all of almost falling to your knees. That's what happened to Thomas. He told the disciples that he needed to touch the side. And he told them he wanted to see the nails. But he didn't. It's the same thing that we hope for and we live for today. If you're not a Christian and you walked into this room... And you have doubts. 
Thank you. Thank you for being honest with yourself. And not just taking a pill when somebody throws it at you and says, this is going to cure it all, because it's not. Thank you for walking in here, but I want to tell you this, that this place is a place in which we can learn and grow together. If I don't proclaim anything else besides the cross today, it's all well and good. But I want you to know this, that I truly know that this church, a church of lovely people, it's not people that sit there with judgment and condemnation on their mind. But they're always seeking after grace's grace and mercy. God's grace and mercy. Philip Yancey says it like this. And it's a, it's a statement that just blew me out of the water. He's talking about people that walk into church and sit in church or Christians that sit around and say, well, I'm certain of this and I'm certain of that and I'm certain of this. And this is not to bash those people. But he's talking about that smug kind of feeling that I'm just certain about. And he said this. He said, where there is certainty... There is no faith. What he simply means by that is that if you're set in your ways and you walk in and you just plop down and you don't address the doubts and the fears and the struggles that you're having in your life, if you don't go through that, you can't be growing in God. We've got to figure out that God didn't come back from the grave to make us perfect here. That's one day later. He came back from the grave, so we have somebody that when we do doubt and fear and struggle, that we're not alone. There's a lot of people that you know that aren't in church on this Easter Sunday. And it could be because of doubts and fears and struggles in their lives. But the one thing I want to tell you is this. Like Thomas, I guarantee you that once you have come face to face with, face to face with Christ, and if you're a believer, you'll know what I'm talking about, then you can't help but go out and celebrate and share the same love that God showed us. And one little stupid way today, when you leave, you're going to receive one of these little peat moss discs and you're going to get a little package of seeds of flowers. And when you take that home, I don't want you just to throw it over on the counter. I want you to take some time, maybe today as a family, and plant some of those seeds in there. Because if you're a Christian in this room, that's exactly what we're told to do. We need to go out and plant our seeds of faith, what we believe in today, with those people that are still struggling with doubt on the outside. Don't become smug where you think that everything in here is a social club. That's not what it's about. Our work is on the outside. This is just where we get to come and rally around each other and have brothers and sisters that have like-mindedness and find love and compassion and care.
but it's also the place where we come to grow and to prepare to go out and plant those seeds. I don't know where you are today. I don't know the things that you brought into this place. But the one thing I want you to know is there is no doubt how much God loves you. There is no doubt that God wants to have a relationship with you. And there is no doubt that today, of all days, not because we're in church, but because Christ arose, is the greatest day of all mankind. And while you're celebrating that with family today and friends, keep in mind of the sacrifice and the celebration that was in heaven. The sacrifice from God's part to give His Son, the celebration on that blessed morning when those women went to the tomb and didn't find Him. If you've got questions and doubts and you want to talk about it, I'm going to be right down here in the front. Contact me during the week. Email me, text me, tweet tweet me. It's all on here. I don't know how it works. It's all on here. But don't hesitate to do that. Thank you for being here today. Celebrate God's love.